Well, good morning. Buenos dias. I'm getting ready for Guatemala. Next week we leave for Guatemala. So Duolingo is going to be re-downloaded on my phone. And I will try to once again learn Spanish. How are you? Did you guys enjoy the little hints of spring that have kind of come into the air? It's not as cold. Uh, good morning on this happy uh, President's Day weekend, my brother's birthday um, weekend. So I always say happy birthday to BJ. I don't know where he's at. He's probably somewhere enjoying his birthday. I think he's in Utah, so uh, good for him. Well, we have been in this series entitled The Way, and uh, we've been meditating for the last several weeks on these claims that Jesus makes about not just pointing to the way, but to be the way. And Jesus isn't saying that he is just one of the paths to heaven, but he is the way to the Father. And that, that powerful truth that the path as a person is worthy of just significant reflection. And then we've kind of looking at the next half of this series, we've looked at the really interesting feature that in the, in the book of Acts especially, that the earliest disciples of Jesus referred to themselves as followers of the way. And I don't think that was an accident, right? That the, that the way, Jesus being the way, and the, the followers of Jesus refer to themselves as followers of the way. I think that's really, really interesting. And so what we're doing in this series is we're looking at what does it mean to be a, a follower of the way? What is, what is the way? We know it's Jesus, but what does it look like in practice? And we're talking about walking this way together. And that's exactly um, what really what a church is. And I want to kind of dive into that um, in, in another way this, this, uh, this morning. And as I was kind of thinking of the best way to introduce what I felt the Lord laid on my heart, I was, um, I, was in the, I was in the gym and I was working out with Brian. And uh, I noticed that <laughs> my cardio wasn't quite where it was before Christmas. Anybody else with me on that, right? And there wasn't as many weights on the weight on the barbell. Um, it had been a little while since I had gotten into the gym. I kind of developed a little tendon. I'm getting old. I don't know. Anyway. And so I, I, yeah. And so I was just thinking, man, you know, um, maybe our resurrected bodies won't atrophy so quick. I don't know if that's going to be the case. I don't know. Um, but then I started thinking about our body, the church, you know, the local church. And I was kind of wondering, you know, like, what kind of shape are we in as a church? If you can get out of shape physically, you know, because you're not in your routine or whatever, you don't do your 10,000 steps, any of the people trying to do that with your watch, you know, um, or, or something like that, you can kind of get out of shape. You know, can we get out of shape as a church? And does that happen kind of quickly at times, right? Where we can kind of get out of shape. And I was thinking about that. I was thinking, what does a shape, what does an in-shape church look like? You know, what does it look like for us as a church body to be in shape, to be really walking together on the way and walking at a good pace, not like a crawl, you know? Like, what does it mean for us to really kind of work that, work that life out, walk that life out together? I think faithful pastors ask that question. Is the church that I'm part of, is the church that I'm shepherding, are we, are we being faithful? Are we walking this journey faithfully, right? Are we in shape, if you want to use that metaphor? And so I want to talk today about the critical role that our community plays in helping us all together kind of walk and stay in shape. 
You with me today? And I want to talk about that because I really believe for too long in the American church, we have overemphasized a personal relationship with Jesus and underemphasized the corporate relationship we all have with Jesus. Guys, let me say this. For Christians, the me always includes the we, always. And I think COVID kind of accelerated that a little bit. Like I'm not around the other believers and we can kind of stay detached. Even when I'm in a room, if I'm introverted a little bit, I I still have walls up. And, and, you know, guys, I just, I just, I just want to say this. We're in a body of Christ together, right? We need one another. The community of Jesus needs each other for us to all be walking on this way. That's what we've called this walking together walking the way. So uh, as we start, I want to ask you a couple questions to kind of get your minds rolling. What have you learned recently from another follower of Jesus in your community? Who challenged you in this community who, or in your life group, who challenges you, challenges you to follow Jesus closer, right? Are you relationally close or far from that person? So do you, do you kind of like, uh, feel like you're being influenced, but at a distance? Or are they like really close to you? You know, sometimes that's kind of what happens is I see someone at a distance, I'm taking notes, you know, like, oh, okay, so that's what it looks like for that person to really, you know, raise their children as a Christian. You know, that's what it looks like for them to, you know, but really I'm not close to them relationally. I'm still kind of far, right? So my question is that is, are you, do you have close relationships? Who's, who's in your circle? Um, last week, we said this, the way of Jesus is ruled and fueled by love. Remember that? The way of Jesus is ruled and fueled by love. It rules us, right? Jesus came into our life and he just radically transformed us by his love. And the rule, if you want to use that word, is to love one another just as he loved us, right? But it's also fueled by love. But you know what, guys? I need to see what that actually looks like in each other's life. I can know that like mentally, I can, I can, okay, yeah. But what does it actually look like in a marriage? What does it actually look like at a job? What does it actually look like in somebody's way they hold their finances and live out that way, you know? It's, it's so important that we have these living examples. And so I wanna look at something in the book of Acts today where you see this and it's in the life of the apostle Paul. And I think this will be, I hope it'll be really, really clear about how Paul lived this out. And I wanna start with this really emotional scene. Uh, and I want you, I loved, I love Shannon, how she had us visualize. So that's beautiful. That was a great communion time. Uh, I want us to think about, visualize these words, this scene. It, Paul is at the seaport of Miletus. He's about 30 miles from Ephesus. He's about to leave And the elders of Ephesus, and we'll get into this in a minute, they're all gathered around Paul. And I just want to go right to the end, and then we'll go back and work through it. And I want you to picture this very, very emotional moment with Paul and and these elders. When he had finished speaking, he knelt and prayed with them. They all cried as they embraced and kissed him goodbye. They were sad most of all because he had said, that they would never see him again. Then they escorted him down to the ship. Okay, so we just watched the end of the movie, all right? Wow, what's going on? What's all happening here? Reason why I wanted to start there is I want to show you something that I think is so maybe even unnoticed sometimes, 
in Christian circles. And that is this deep bond that can form if we let it happen. All right, this is part of what it means to be ruled and fueled by love. When you are ruled and fueled by love, when we have a community of love, when we are following the way of love, right? When we are understanding that we are to love one another just as Jesus loved us. And that was last week, we talked about that, right? There should be these bonds that form that if we have to leave, if we have to part one another, right? That it is a deeply emotional time. Tears, embrace, there's tears, there's embrace, there's, there's, there's kiss, you know? Uh, there's this kind of, you are my brother. I love you. Let me ask you, let me ask you something as we get started here. Doesn't that just really appeal to us? You, even if you're not a Christian this morning, listen, even if you're just visiting here, someone drag you, drug you here or whatever, and you're just, okay, but man, how would it be to have that kind of relationship in my life with people that I'm not really related to, but we have this kind of, this bond that forms over time to where if they had to move away, I would cry. Like, man, I, I, there's something about, there's something because you're human, you're made in God's image, you are wired for relationship. You are made for that kind of friendship. And, and when we don't have it, friend, we pretend we don't need it, right? We have this idea, oh, I don't really need to be close. You know, last time I, I, I let somebody in, they hurt me. And all the reasons we kind of keep walls up, friend, it's at our own detriment, right? But when we really are in this loving community that, that, that we're gonna look at today, like this is what it looks like. This is, this is where you see it, like, wow, that's beautiful. Man, I wish I did have those kinds of friends. I wish I really did have that, those kinds of, that kind of depth of my relationship. All right, so I want to I wanna look back and how did we get here, okay? How did it get to this, this scene where Paul's leaving and they're just crying and, 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 and all the rest? And I want to start out with something that's, that's really remarkable because of who this is, Right? If we were to kind of flash back, you know, maybe 10 years earlier, and we were to look at these same group of people and Paul, and we were to just talk to them independent of what happened, you would never imagine that they would be, have, be sharing this moment in the future. Because who are these people? Well, first, Paul. Paul was a, a follower of Jesus who had been radically transformed when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. He used to be a Pharisee that would actually persecute Christians. He didn't believe that the Jesus way or the way, as they called it, was really the right way. And so he was persecuting Christians and he was radically transformed by, by Jesus. Well, who are these other folks? These other folks are former pagans that worshiped the god Artemis in Ephesus. Before Paul came to Ephesus, before they met Jesus, they were just following every other kind of religious uh, ritual in, in, in ancient Ephesus. They were a part of that entire system, as you could imagine, right? They just had no reason to even know each other, probably, right? I, I, I love this one observation that Pastor Mike made. He says, what I love about churches is that because of Jesus, people who would have never spent any time together, who have nothing in common with one another, come to the common table and call each other brother and sister, because that's what Jesus does. And so that's who this is. This is the most unlikely group to be embracing each other and weeping because they're leaving because the apostle Paul took the good news of Jesus into a city called Ephesus that was devoted to the goddess Artemis and transformed that city so that now that when he's leaving about 27 months later, their hearts are broken. They've developed that kind of bond. 
That's beautiful. Man, let me pause it right there. Is that happening at the church at Lake Mead? I, I actually think it is. I actually do. I want to see it more, but I'm seeing that. People come in, they find a community here where they're like, man, this community has just loved me back to life. I'm getting ahead of myself, but you with me there? Like, this is beautiful. So let's, let's look at what Paul says to this, back to in verse 17, the, the beginning of it. So from Miletus, Paul sent to, the Ephes, to Ephesus for the elders of the church. And when they arrived, he said to them, you know how I lived the whole time when I was with you. From the first day, I came to the province of Asia. And so Paul is, he's, he's traveling through, uh, to give you a little context, Paul's is going to be leaving this part of the world. He's going to travel back to Jerusalem. He wants to get there. He has like a deadline to get there before Passover. So he's trying to make his way through. He doesn't have time to leave the boat to go up to Ephesus. So he gets word to the, to the leaders of Ephesus to go down to Miletus where the boat is because he doesn't have time to leave. But he knows he's passing through and he wants to have one more check-in with them before he goes. And so this farewell speech, as we're going to read today, is kind of this final check-in with these elders, these leaders from that church. So they make that trip down to, to see Paul at the seaport of Miletus there. And then Paul says these words to them. He says, he, go back to that last verse. I want to show you real quick. He says, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. So what, what, what you see here is Paul's ability, this is really important, to appeal to them to what they, they saw with their, their own eyes. When I was living with you, because he had left a little while earlier to go to some other churches, but he's able to say, guys, you know when I was here, and he was there about 27 months. He goes, you know, when I lived there, the whole time I was there, you know that, that I, uh, from the time I, I was there, from the first day I arrived at this province of Asia, that I served the Lord, go to the next verse, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears. So Paul is able to say, look, guys, you know me. I, I was with you for, for over two years. And when I was there, I served the Lord with humility and tears in the midst of severe testing by the plots of the Jewish opponents. Now, if you, if you took time to kind of read through the former chapters in Acts, you'll read about these, these uh, severe tests that he's talking about here. There's a time that the entire city of Ephesus was in an uproar uh, because Paul had, had, and the gospel of Jesus had made such a difference in that town that, that people who used to sell, you know, these kind of amulets and charms that were associated with Artemis worship uh, had burned all of their, their, their magical books and burned many of the artifacts around Artemis worship. And so the entire economy of Ephesus was, was kind of like at stake because the good news was transforming that many people, Okay. And so Paul says, hey, you remember some of these, these, uh, these tests that I, that I endured when I was with you guys. You remember that. And he says, you know that I've not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you and taught you publicly and from house to house. Now, I want to pa pause there and just say that. You know, Paul just wasn't a platform preacher. Paul wasn't just a, a personality on a stage. In fact, if you, if you study this, there was this uh, lecture hall called the Hall of Tyrannius. 
And this hall of Tyrannaeus was, a, was an opportunity for traveling speakers to kind of speak at. And Paul talks about how he, he used that opportunity and he spoke every day at the hall of Tyrannaeus. In fact, I was doing some study on that. And evidently there was just like in today's culture in, in that part of the world, there was like a siesta time in the afternoon. And that would be the time Paul would gonna go and use that opportunity because people kind of stop working. And he'd go and he'd preach every day there, right? At that hall of Tyrannaeus. Well, Paul says, not only did I preach publicly, I went house to house. You know, I think that's so important. And I think we're losing that a little bit in the American church a little, right? Sometimes we don't really know our, our, our church leaders and our pastors. And I get sometimes the churches are too large for that to happen. All the more reason for us to be in really well-led life groups where the people who are in our life groups that have a trained leader that can really nourish us and, and know us, know the sheep. You with me? Know the sheep. And so Paul says, hey, I wasn't just a platform personality that would kind of stay, go up on a stage. I was in your home. And this is another, another reason why this is really important, guys, is because in those ancient days, traveling speakers would come through and they'd give these flowery speeches and they would flatter their audience and then they would take a, a pretty hefty offering at the end. And then they would pack up their little show and head off to the new place the next day, kind of like the traveling circus, you know? And Paul's like, that's not what I did. I was there in public, but I was also there in your homes teaching you. And you know, guys, uh, there's, a, there's a term that Dallas Willard um, coined, and uh, John Mark Comer picks it up, I think, too, in his book, The Way of Jesus. And, and it's a beautiful term for churches. And it's, it's, it's called schools of love. I want you, to, if you're taking notes, I want you to write down, church is like a school of love. And that's exactly what it really is. I love this so much. I think maybe because I have that education background, but I really, really love this term because it's a place where you learn how to love. It's a place where you, 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 you come and you've come from maybe lots of unlove, right? You've come from a lots of lack of love, right? And then you meet love itself who died on a cross. And then now you're schooled in the way of love. And that's what Paul is saying. He's like, look, I didn't stop teaching you anything that would be helpful. I was on stage. I was in your house. I was, I was showing you with my life. You know, he's pointing to his own example, right? I lived with humility and tears. He goes on, he says in, in chapter 20, verse 21, he says, I declared to both the Jews and the Gentiles that they may turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul's saying, look, I didn't shy away from the hard truths either. I didn't just preach the good stuff and the easy stuff. I preached the hard stuff too. I preached the full counsel of God. I warned you when you needed warning. I encouraged you when you needed encouraging. That's the way of a shepherd. That's a faithful pastor that says things that sometimes aren't popular, but are still true. Sometimes I even think we get that wrong as, as, as church, churches sometimes. We think that, you know, the best kinds of sermons are the sermons that, you know, make us, leave us, making, making us feel bad about ourselves. Actually, that might not be a good sermon. That actually might be a kind of form of manipulation. I think the best kind of sermons are the kinds of sermons that leave you marveling about how good God is, amazed at how great grace is right? And so thankful that you've been invited into the community of the faithful. Come on. That's the best kinds of sermons. The sermons aren't that, that, that really should motivate you aren't to point out just how horribly rotten you are, but how great, amazing God is. 
and how he is taking you from where you were to where he's got you going. And that's eternal inheritance reserved in heaven for you because you followed King Jesus. The best kinds of sermons are the ones that should call you to allegiance to our King. And if there's anything keeping you from full allegiance, like brother and sister, let it go. It ain't worth it. Come on, somebody, right? All right. Look at the next one, verse 22. He says now, and this, this guys, this is, where, this is where the mic's going to drop. This is so good right here. He says, and now compelled by the spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. Okay, I got I to gotta set this up. So picture it again. They're all around these, these docks at Miletus. They're just with Paul. He's with his leaders from Ephesus. He had spent years with these guys. They watched him. They watched the way he lived. They've had him in their, home, in his, in their homes. They've, they've heard his teaching. So they've had a, guys, listen, they've had a living example of what a follower of Jesus looks like up close. And now he's given them one more example. He says, guys, this is my new journey. I'm, I'm being compelled. I'm being compelled by the spirit to go into the unknown. See, Paul is going to live out for them, not just, not just comfortable faith, but a faith that says, wherever the spirit leads me, I'm going. He's, he's modeling an obedient faith. And he says this, I don't know what's going to happen to me. I only know this. I know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that by prison and hardships, that prisons and hardships are facing me. And then he says these words. He says, however, I... I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Guys, I want to I see this, show you this. Paul is like, look, I don't know what's going to happen. I have gotten some warnings about what might happen. I'm going into the unknown, but I want you guys to know, I already made a decision about my life. I already made a decision that my life isn't, isn't so valuable to me that I'm unwilling to take risks in my faith. Check this out. Guys, life is not meant to be spent. Life is meant to be invested. And when we spend our life trying to keep our life, we stop living our life. When we try to keep playing it safe, try not to go into those dangerous locations, friends, we're not actually living the life Jesus has for us. So here's my question, and I want to channel Paul in this. Where are you living your life? Where are you investing your life? I hear people talking about, I spend my days on the golf course. How about you invest your days when you're on the golf course, right? I'm not saying you can't play golf. I'm saying, listen, if you're on the golf course, who are you bringing? Who are you investing in, right? A Christian is someone who isn't just spending their life. They're investing their life wherever God calls them to, to invest it. And that's exactly what Paul, you see here, you know? I was thinking about all the ways that I spend my life. I spend my life in college. I feel that way. I'm almost done. But you know, you've been there, right? I spend my life in books. I spend my life. But if you had to switch, actually, I'm investing my life here. I'm going to do this because I know doing this allows me to do something bigger in the kingdom. If I spend my life here, I'm spending it for myself. But instead, if I invest my life here, I have a great reward waiting for me in heaven because that's the life of a Jesus follower, someone who's investing, investing, investing. 
Now, where did we learn that? From Paul. This, this church has seen that. Again, this is a school of love. Paul is showing them how to live. He's like, guys, my life isn't that, isn't that important to me. The kingdom's way more important to me. Let me tell you, you have a friend like that in your life, it guarantees to rub off on you. Can you hear me on that? If you have a brother or a sister who lives that way, I promise you, it's gonna move your needle a little bit that direction, right? That's why the community is so important. That's why I've been asking, like, who, who are the influencers in your life? Who are the people that are showing you new, new chapters and what it means to walk on this Jesus way, right? Uh, look what else Paul says. We'll wrap up this, this part of his speech here. He says, now I know that none of you are uh, among whom I've gone about preaching in the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I'm innocent of the blood of any of you. So he's kind of wrapping it up. He goes, guys, you're not going to see me again but I'm innocent. I, I've, I've not left one stone unturned. I've told you everything I know. And there's not anything that somebody's going to rightfully accuse me of, of leaving out, maybe because it was uncomfortable to talk about or whatever. Paul's like, no, I, I've, I've preached everything to you. He says in verse 27, for I've not hesitated to proclaim the whole will of God. And then like a good shepherd, he warns. And he says, he says, keep watch over yourselves. And all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Remember, he's talking to the leaders of that church. Be shepherds to the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know, he says, after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. And then he says, even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. Here's what Paul's leaving this, this group of elders with. Guys, listen, don't ever think it can't be one of us. Don't ever think that you're immune to the, to the temptations of the enemy. Don't ever think that you wouldn't be Judas, right? That's what Paul's saying. He's like, guys, I need you to keep your eyes on the shepherd because the enemy is crafty. And even one of us might lead people after, and I like how it says this, to draw disciples after them. Oh, be very careful when a pastor makes it about himself or herself. Oh, be very careful when the pastor wants the personality and the draw about him or her, right? This is not about any pastor, right? That's why I love about Paul's word. I wasn't just a platform preacher. I was in your house. I was working with my own hands, he's about to say. I, 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 I didn't, I didn't um, do this so I could gain from you. In fact, let's look at that. Look how he ends this. He says this, he says, so be on your guard, Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. He says, and I think this kind of reminds you of, of what he writes in 1 Thessalonians 2. He says this, he says, we so loved you or we loved you so much that we shared not only God's good news, but also our own lives. See, that's, that's just, that's what a pastor who's, who's following Jesus needs to do. That's actually what the sheep need to do for each other is, and I'm not just here to, you know, try to 
give you some kind of message or, or kind of like, you know, notch in my belt. Like, yeah, I told another person about Jesus. Let me go on to the next person. And it's like, as, if, as if it's some kind of game. Pastors, church members, friends that are enrolled in the school of love. This should not be about just telling people the good news, quote unquote. It should be about investing your life. You know, this a couple of weeks ago, um, or actually this last week, I was kind of got caught up a little bit in some of the arguments around the, the He Gets Us campaign. And, um, and it was fascinating to see how the depiction of Jesus and others washing feet was so divisive. And it really hurt my heart. It really did. I'll be honest with you, church, it did. Because I thought to myself, next week, I'm actually going to Guatemala with a bunch of shoes. And, I'm, I'm, and we've been doing this for a few years. And I'm literally going to be washing feet of children as we take their old shoes off and we put socks and shoes on these children's feet. And we're, we're going to do that in, in a week. And we take this team of kids down there and we're going to do that. And so I'm thinking to myself, I'm thinking to myself, guys, why are we arguing about whether or not it's appropriate to, 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 to depict Jesus washing feet? Can we just start washing people's feet instead of arguing about it? Like, what if we just did that? What if we like, you know what? I don't think there's going to be any, I don't think anybody in heaven is going to be upset if I just wash people's feet. And while I do that, I tell them, there's a God in heaven who wants to wash your feet. There's a God in heaven who died on the cross to wash you clean. And he loves you. And he gave his life for you. And the fact that he came into this world tells us that God wants to be near sinners. As if somehow sin is like this kryptonite to God. We got this weird idea that God can't be around sin. I don't know where that comes from. I know there's one verse in Habakkuk that people take out of context. But aside from that, guys, the incarnate God came into the world to serve sinners. Can I get an amen on that? God isn't repelled by your sin. He's not grossed out. Jesus came running for sinners. He invited himself to sinners' homes for dinner time. And people were upset then about it. And so I, I thought this week, man, surely there's other things we could be arguing about. And that kind of brings us back to this thing. Like, I think it's easier sometimes, church, to tell people the truth and not live it. You with me? To tell people the good news, whatever that is, but not really invest your own lives too, right? Back to that question, like, where are you investing your life? You know, metaphorically, who have you, whose feet have you washed recently? You know, guys, we can be right and still wrong. You with me on that? We can be as a church. We can be right about morality, about, about right and wrong, about what is and is not sin. We can be right about those th things and still be wrong because what we're not investing is our own life in this. In fact, I'd like to make this a rule. Don't you dare share your opinion until you shared your life. Really, you know, don't you dare. Don't you dare give your opinion until you've given your life because guys, we have to earn that that access into people's hearts. I just, I just, I'm looking at a country, I'm looking at a country that's becoming more divided every day on all kinds of things. And I'm thinking, I know who's the author of division. It started in the garden with a question. Did God really say? 
That was his crafty word from the beginning. How can I separate man from God? How can I separate husbands from wives? How can I separate children from parents? Are you with me today, church? And there's all of this division being sown. And I'm saying, where's the church of Jesus that does what Paul showed us, a school of love that says, hey, I'm going to go house to house. And then look what he says. Look, I'm almost done. Look what he says here. He says, uh, he says, now I entrust you to God and the message of his grace that is able to build you up and give you an inheritance with all that he has set apart for himself. I have never coveted anyone's silver or gold or fine clothes. You know that these hands of mine have worked to supply my own needs and even the needs of those who are with me. And hit the last one. He says, and I have been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It's more blessed to give than receive. And then he kind of stops. And at that moment, here's the reaction we started with. Hit that next one. When he had finished speaking, he knelt and prayed. And now you can see why they are all crying and embracing this godly pastor who had shown them the way of love and had modeled it out in front of them. And now told him, I'm leaving. We said this last week, you guys, the way of Jesus is ruled and fueled by love. It's ruled and fueled by love. Guys, that's what I want to see at the church at Lake Mead. I want to see a church, a school of love. That when you come into our school, okay, I love this because I, like I said, I had the education background, right? That here's the first lesson. Hey, here's the first lesson. What we do at this place is we, we love each other without condition. Isn't that great? Like we just come on in. Well, you don't know my story. It doesn't matter. Like you don't know my story, you know, but let me tell you about the one writing our stories. Come on, man. I'm start preaching now, right? Because he writes new stories and writes new chapters and it's about forgiveness. It's about grace. And I'm going to tell you, whatever you're carrying in, you can lay it down at the cross because at the cross, as we've celebrated earlier, every debt was paid. Every sin was atoned for. Jesus is our King and we are walking the way of love together. This is the way of love. Man, don't you think Henderson would be transformed if the church at Lake Mead was a school of love? Guys, does this not get you excited? It gets me super excited because I look at, I look at our world and if there's ever a time that they need to see an alternative, it's now. If there's ever a time they need to say, wow, you mean um, in the world of the divisions that we experience, there's a place where I really don't have to like fight about that stuff. I can just learn about this King Jesus who supersedes any political leader, right? I can learn about this new kingdom that I can live into, right? And no matter if the government is on my side or against me, it really doesn't matter because I got the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, right? That's really what I'm doing. And I have brothers and sisters who aren't just in the United States. I have this global kingdom that Jesus, the King of Kings is coming to one day reclaim and set it up on earth forever. Man, I'm excited about that. I'm so tired of the wars and the rumors of wars and, and, and all the hatred and the fear that are sown in our kids' hearts. All the, all the, all the things that we see on our, on, in the geopolitical world, right? Guys, what if, what if King Jesus melted those 
swords into, into plow shears. I can't talk today, right? What if, what, if, what if instead of nuclear weapons, it was, it was the nuclear weapon of love that just transformed the world? That's what a Christian enrolled in the school of love preaches. You with me today? That's what it is. So I want to leave you with one last place. And this is the writer of Hebrews. And I think he's thinking about this, you guys, when he writes this. Verse 24 of chapter 10. So let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Let's think about that. I want to to go to Ravager right now. Let's not worry so much about some of the petty stuff we fight about on Facebook. Instead, let's motivate one another to acts of good love and good works. Man, what if you're in a life group and when you're in that life group, you're just like, wow. Our life group is motivating one another to go do whatever it is, whatever it is. We're going to go to the rehab center. We're going to go visit people who, have, who are stroke, stroke patients and no one's seen them in 10 years. Like that's what we're going to do next Saturday. We're going to paint the walls in that room and make it bright and colorful. We're going to, we're going to go down to the boys and girls club and we're going to start hanging out with the, you know, under-resourced children who don't have any coaches and we're going to volunteer to coach for the basketball league. And we're starting to bring the school of love all across our city and on and on it goes. Paul writes these words in Philippians chapter two. He says, cultivate this mindset, this way of thinking, acting and feeling in your community, which is in fact a community in the Messiah, Jesus. Cultivate that mindset. Can you, can we just uh, all stand together? And I want to just invite you right now into a moment, a moment of response and reflection. And I want you to just, uh, just to take a, take a, an inventory right now with your eyes closed, maybe your head's bowed. And I want to just give you a moment to sit with with what we talked about. And the first question I want to ask you is, have you enrolled in the school of love? (laughs) Have you enrolled in the school of love? Maybe you're here this morning and you've never really given your life to Jesus and this church because it's both. You can't give your life to Jesus and not the church, okay? I said that earlier. I'll say it again. <laughs> so I want to ask you, maybe, maybe what you need to do, maybe your action step is, I, give, I need to enroll in this. What, that, what does that mean? Here's what that means. Here's what, listen right now. It means understanding a couple of things. Number one, it means understanding that you need Jesus. That without Jesus, there's no way to the Father. We talked about that. He is the way. So you're coming, you're coming face to face with that truth. You need Jesus. Why? Why? Why do you need Jesus? Because you are a sinner. You have done wrong. I've done wrong. We've all done wrong. The the church is not a a group of people who haven't done wrong. It's a group of people who's taken, who've had the wrongs we've done taken away. That's all we are. We're people who've had our wrongs taken away because Jesus came to take away the sin of the world. And so if that's you this morning, you've never come face to face with that truth, right where you stand, you need to say this prayer and pray it out loud to God. God, I know I have done wrong. I know I'm a sinner. I want Jesus to forgive me. He died on the cross. I believe this. He died for me. 
I invite him into my life. He's now my king. I give my allegiance to King Jesus. I bow my knee before King Jesus. If that's you this morning, if that's you this morning, no one's looking around, your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed. I want you to raise your hand. Today, I give my life to King Jesus. Raise your hand high so I can see it. I give my life to King Jesus all over the room, all over the room. Today, I enroll in the school of love. Who else? Today, I give my life to King Jesus. If your hands are raised and today you're giving your life, I want you to pray with me. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I invite Jesus into my life. I believe he died for me and he rose again. Save me, Jesus, save me. I make you my king. In Jesus' name, you can put your hands down. If you trusted Jesus today, we are having a baptism in this room next week. And I want you to get baptized next week. So we'll talk later. There's a, you, can, you can sign up for it on the app. So that's what I want you to do. Number two, if you are enrolled in the school of love, but you have been keeping your brother and sister at a distance, that stops today. That stops today. Guys, there's no me without we. So I want to right now invite our church to commit to the community And so I'm gonna invite you right now, if you need to be enrolling in a life group, you need to be in a men's group or a women's group, this is your action step today. I will take this step. I am no longer gonna be on the outside kind of like tiptoeing around. I'm diving into the pool of this community because this community is where I'm gonna be learning how to love like Jesus loved. Father, I pray that our church would be a school of love. And I pray for those that are on the margins that they would become very connected in life groups, connected in men's groups and women's groups, Lord, that we would walk together, Lord. I pray for leaders in this church to take the responsibility of shepherding others in here. I pray for new pastors to rise up. Lord, I pray that there would be, there'd just be a multitude of pastors, not one pastor, but there'd be multitudes of pastors in this church leading and nurturing and, and, and caring for this flock, Lord. And I pray, Lord, we'd love one another with this godly love. And I want to end our time together with giving you a moment to pray. Because friend, there is no better way of feeling united with your brothers and sisters than in prayer. And so right where we, you stand, if you came to church with someone, I want to have Jeremy sing over us. And I want you to pray together. And I want you to pray for both of you to walk in this school of love. And if you're new to this church and you're alone, guys, we have prayer members that are gonna be up here on our prayer team. They're gonna invite you to, we're gonna invite you to pray with them. If you have a deep burden and you want someone to pray with, we have a prayer team that's gonna be up here. I wanna invite you to forward to pray with our prayer team. So Jeremy's gonna sing over us. And right now we're gonna just spend the last minutes together in prayer. And then we'll have Jamie close us out. Father, as we pray as a church, As we pray and love one another, may we grow in our love for you. Because God, it is this community that shapes our character. It's this community that grows us in our faith. May we be the community you desire. In Jesus' name, amen.